Welcome to the Africa Rights Talk podcast, a Center for Human Rights podcast series, hosted by Victoria Amechi. Hello and welcome to the Africa Rights Talk. This is a podcast series of the Center for Human Rights, University of Pretoria. And today we are continuing with a series of conversations between the Expression, Information and Digital Rights Unit of the Center for Human Rights and stakeholders in the sphere of access to information in Africa. Um, so these conversations dwell on the AU model law on access to information for Africa, which was adopted in 2013. And of course, this year celebrating its 10 years of existence. So these conversations are done uh, by myself, Smith Nasseri, together with my colleagues, Idirashi Amanda and advocate Crispin Bosire. Today on the, on the African Rights Talk, we are having a conversation with Fatou Jacne, an expert on access to information in Africa. Hello, Fatou. Uh, hello, good afternoon from the Gambia. Thank you for having me in this uh, uh, important discussions on access to information. Uh, thank you very much, Fatou. We are glad to have you here today. As we informed our audience in the, in the previous session, the, of course, we now know that the AU model law is celebrating its 10 years of existence. Um, so, Fatou, can you please give us your perception of the changing landscape of access to information in Africa since the adoption of the AU model law? Oh, yeah, thank you. As you, as you know, uh, access to information has been really uh, critical in the discourse around freedom of expression and democratic governance in general. And if you look at the landscape over the past uh, 30 years, I will say uh, there were few discussions, and, you know, there were little discussions around this issue. And many people sometimes were confusing access to information with general freedom of expression. And in many instances, when you talk about access to information, people were thinking just, uh, it's a just journalistic right is a right for journalists to access information. So I think uh, the way we it, things have progressed over the past 20 years with the adoption first of the Declaration of Principle, which elaborates uh, on Article 9 and, and uh, highlighting importantly the importance of access to information and followed uh, in 2013 by the specific uh, uh, elaboration of uh, an access to information model law. Uh, I think that helped really to build the momentum and uh, today, uh, most uh, African countries, when you talk to civil society, you talk to government and other actors, at least they, they know that uh, there's a, an African model law uh, that is here to set the standards, but also to provide guidelines on how to elaborate uh, national laws, but also for the advocates, how to go about you know, advocating for uh, the enactment or the implementation of uh, access to information, depending on where the where the country is at. Uh, yeah. The model law has really uh, accelerated the understanding, but also bring concrete solutions uh, to the to the discussions and helping uh, to to shape the way forward in terms of you know having a guideline, but also you know showing how advocates also can do the work. Right. Okay. Yeah, so together with, with the AU model law, we also had the, the 2019 Declaration of Principles on Freedom of Expression and Access to Information, as well as the 
the guidance on access to information and elections uh, in Africa. So, what is what to you is the is your view on how countries in in West Africa, particularly, have um, domesticated and adopted these uh, these uh, direct directives and and declarations within their national context? What is sure and important as well is that uh, these these instruments have really changed the game in terms of uh, you know. Uh, bringing uh, to the to the doorstep of the, the you know the countries uh, models that they can use to shape their their existing uh, review their existing law or, or bring about new laws, and I think the discussions that have been that in most African countries they've been struggling with uh, uh, models, and I think the fact that we now have the model law, we have uh, the declaration. Uh, of principle on freedom of expression and access to information in Africa, which was updated in 2019, uh, it, it really provides a comprehensive uh, framework for, for countries to look into. And uh, of course, the guideline on election also is very helpful. Not many studies have been conducted really to analyze how each country is doing. But what is sure is that during those different stakeholders' conversations, during also uh, the, the drafting of, of those laws, we realized that these instruments have been put forward, kind of inspiration uh, was taken from them. So definitely they are very useful. People got inspiration from them in terms of drafting laws. I can point to some specific legislations that were enacted, like the Gambian model. The, the Gambian law really took a lot of inspiration from the African model law. It was referred to in, in, in many instances. And you can see more and more also instruments that are developed in the different countries also are, in, are getting inspiration from like their countries who have not adopted access to information laws, but who have other instruments. And you can see the presence uh, of uh, uh, during the discussions, really the access to information model law uh, have been used quite a lot in, in, in those discussions. So many drafts that came after 2013 uh, really will use the, the model law, the Senegal draft, which is still pending, uh, examined quite a lot of uh, the access to information, the model law, and uh, took uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the recommendations from that model law. Right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Do you feel that there have been major developments in terms of the the landscape on access to information in, in Western Africa since the adoption of the AU model law? And I guess that will be also attached to the fact that these countries like Senegal, as you pointed out, and the Gambia have adopted this, the model law within their national context. What do you think are the, are the cursory developments that have happened since then? Well, just a point of correction. Senegal uh, is still uh, uh, discussing uh, the draft. It's not yet finalized, uh, whilst Gambia adopted uh, the access to information law two years ago. Yes, so just... Uh, uh, I think around the region, if you look at most of the countries, uh, they are really uh, they, they, they are working on access to information. The first three sets of countries that have access to information uh, in the early 2000, before the, the African model law, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, and uh, Liberia being the first. And then you have the other series, many of the Francophone countries, they do have also access to information law. The challenge, of course, with the civil law, uh, systems is that uh, in most cases you need 
uh, uh, to have like regulations to for the implementation to happen, which uh, has uh, has really been a problem. A country like Niger had an access to information law many years ago, but until uh, recently, the decree, which is a kind of the regulation that will enable effective implementation and operationalization, uh, was not adopted. So it makes it very difficult for the law to be in 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 in. Uh, in action. Uh, Ghana adopted its access to information law even though very late, but uh, as we speak, I think all the Anglophone countries in the region uh, got access to information law. And now, recently also Burkina, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Guinea-Bissau is also looking at uh, uh, developing its access to information law. So we can see more or less that most, uh, if not all, the, 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 the West African countries have some kind of access to information law. There are some problematic ones, such as the one in Guinea, which was adopted, but for technical reasons, I think it's considered not to be like fully implementable. So I think they're working on a new on a new pathway. But really, the the model law and the activism of civil society, the dynamism of civil society, has really pushed and propelled uh, the, the 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 enactment. Of, uh, of access to information law uh, in, in West Africa. We can see that I think uh, in terms of the growth uh, for, uh, in, in, for, for access to information law, we can say West Africa, I think is leading in terms of the countries that, are, that have access to, to information. Almost all of them uh, uh, have access to information, like uh, Senegal, Guinea-Bissau, and one or two other countries are still struggling. But more or less all the other countries have access to information laws. Uh, the ones that, uh, the, now the challenge that is that some of those laws are in place. In some countries, the mechanisms, uh, like the oversight mechanisms are set up, but they, they are a lot of challenging in terms of proactive disclosure, in terms of cooperation and political will from uh, public officials. In other countries, uh, there are still technical issues. The, these institutions that are supposed to be oversight bodies are not yet in place. Uh, like here in the Gambia, 18 months after the access to information law was enacted, a commission was supposed to be in place. It is yet uh, to be discussed, but we understood that it's part of, it's budgeted. So it is hoped that probably by the end of this year, uh, the commission should be in place if uh, the plans uh, go 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 you know go well. So we don't know exactly uh, when the commission will be in place, but at least it's budgeted, which is a good sign. So yes, uh, the model law has really been a springboard in terms of uh, propelling, pushing, encouraging uh, uh, civil society, but also governments to uh, you know forge ahead in terms of enactment of access to information law uh, laws, but. What we are seeing, there are still major hurdles in terms of the full implementation of uh, of these uh, new regimes. Uh, okay, thank you very much. And I guess my new my my next question will uh, you already started addressing the issues of um, national institutions in terms in charge with um, implementing effective implementation of this of this model law at the national level. So can you discuss, you know, like. Um, tell us generally what is the state of, of uh, implementation of these laws at the national level, the institutions put in place, 
together, I guess, with the role of civil, civil society in the proper implementation of laws? Well, I think uh, we, uh, it's not even, uh, some countries have, as I told you, adopted their laws in the early 2000s, in uh, around 2010, such as Liberia, uh, Sierra Leone, and later. So the, I think the, the, the level of implementation varies from one country to the other. In some countries, the institutions are in place. But in some other countries, the institutions are yet, are yet to be in place. So that makes it a little bit uh, challenging to do like an overall assessment of implementation. But uh, having said that, uh, we've seen countries who have institutions already who have been working. Uh, the challenges that they are facing, as I mentioned, is like operational challenges such as, you know, the, 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 the financial issues, independence in terms of their financial, their budget uh, to run the institutions properly. The other uh, bit that most uh, uh, commissions or institutions that are supposed to oversee uh, the implementation of access to information laws are facing is also lack of political will. Institutions that are in place, but they are facing a lot of challenges in terms of the population, in terms of also the overhaul of the system to enable, as you can see in the modern law and even in national legislation, it generally it is indicated that you need also to align uh, your national legislation to enable the access to information regime to be fully implemented. And in most countries, those reforms are yet to take place. The, uh, the, there are issues around budgetary budgetary matters, but also overall it's like the political will of you know subjecting uh, the administration to account to, to the public and to ensure that the administration is fully open uh, uh, in as much as uh, the access to information is concerned, uh, is kind of a challenge still in many countries in the region. Yes, but it's work in progress. The frameworks are there. Some countries have uh, progressed in terms of getting the institutions in place. What we need to do as civil society and other actors is really to push and get the bigger reform because access to information laws can change certain ways of doing things. But I believe that uh, the overall uh, administrative reforms that are needed will help with the access to information laws to be fully implemented in the, in the years to come. Yes, access to information are very important. They change the game. They help citizens to be more empowered, to be able to know what their governments are doing, to be able also to ask for uh, more information of public interest. But again, uh, if the system doesn't, uh, you know, collaborate and use access to information just as a lip service, as a way of ticking boxes, I think it will take many more years before we can enjoy the full benefit of uh, access to information regimes. Thank you very much, Fatou. I am going to be introducing my, my colleague, uh, Idirashi Amanda Chikomba, and she'll be asking you the next set of questions. Thank you. Good afternoon, Fatou. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'll just proceed and uh, highlight that uh, in your previous question, you mentioned the lack of political will. And I just want to bring in the issue of um, access, yes. access to information being an essential component uh, in the exercise of democracy. In uh, 
in light of the issue of lack of political will that you mentioned, and also noting the fact that access to information is an essential component in the exercise of democracy, and specifically looking at the elections in 2021 that happened in Gambia, what would you say is the extent to which the electoral management body complied with the guidelines on access to information and elections uh, in promoting electoral transparency? Also in the Gambia, uh, the reforms are still outstanding. There are many areas of reforms that have not yet been completed. Uh, in, uh, electoral uh, laws uh, are one of those uh, urgently uh, needed uh, kind of reforms that people have been waiting for. So the electoral management body, which is the IEC, the Independent Electoral Commission, still continues to use uh, old guidelines. They have updated some before I think the last elections, I will say uh, uh, they are not really in line with the, the current guideline, the Africa guideline, but more or less, uh, you know, creates, uh, can create, how create uh, the space for equitable access. But there are so many gray areas also in terms of the way uh, the electoral body is working itself, uh, uh, it's uh, the publications of the results online. There's so many areas that uh, they, that need improvements, uh, which uh, will benefit from the, the, the African guidelines, which I believe the ongoing reforms will take into account. But the last elections went well, more or less, but uh, the African guideline was not implemented. Thank you so much for that response. Uh, so I'd like to dial back a little bit and uh, go to Smith's previous question, where he asked about the role of civil society. Uh, what would you think is the role uh, of the civil society in West Africa to promote the right to access to information? Yes, civil society has already played a, a critical role in uh, pushing for the enactment of access to information laws in many countries. If you look at uh, the history in general, you can see that most of those processes have been led by civil society in almost all the countries in the region. Civil so It has been civil society-led, and uh, that has really helped also to create momentum to make uh, to, to, to get uh, more actors involved. In some countries, the media have been also very active in, in terms of uh, uh, pushing for access to information, media organizations. Yeah, but so if you look at really the, the movement, the civil society movement and access to information processes, you know, they must, they, they've been led uh, throughout by civil society. And I think that also uh, uh, is, uh, is linked to the fact that uh, uh, most of the time governments have been reluctant uh, to open up. And uh, with the momentum gain in the uh, 2000, in the early 2000 to today, I think uh, it, it has become an imperative for most governments to, to adopt transparency measures. It is, you know, it is part of some of the conditionalities and access to information has become really uh, a major, a major kind of uh, a criteria for, for good governance, which was not the case maybe 30 years ago. And more and more, if you look at the, 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 the different indexes, uh, uh, rating countries uh, in terms of governance, democratic issues, access to information is uh, at the center of, of, of those processes and all, all those, uh, those, uh, those, uh, those ratings. So I do believe that, yes, civil society has played an important role in encouraging and opening the space for access to information 
laws to, to be enacted in the countries. And they keep continuing, they keep going for, for the implementation. Uh, it's just a, a challenge as it touches at the heart of the administration. Most administrations are used to secrecy, are used to working uh, in dark, uh, out of citizens' knowledge. And, you know, these are centuries of, uh, of practices that will change overnight. So you will see that, yes, uh, getting access to information is one step, like a big one, getting the mechanism so, you know, to be in place to start uh, the oversight work is another step, but getting the compliance from the different institutions, either government, private sector, yeah, it's a huge, huge one that will need a lot of regrouping again, a lot of re restrategizing, because I believe that we are at a crossroad where restriction of civic space is happening in the region, where civil society has been assaulted, where government is closing more and more the space, and that has also affected a lot uh, 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 transparency and openness. Thank you so much for that. So building up on your response, you touched briefly on uh, media uh, when you were talking about civil society organizations. So maybe I'll proceed to ask how effective you view the role of, of media in as far as uh, access to information uh, is concerned. Do you think the role uh, of the media is to a greater extent enhancing access to information in Gambia? Yeah, well, as you can see, uh, uh, Gambia is coming from a very, very difficult and dark uh, history of repression, of denial of uh, all rights and access to information and media freedom have been really affected. So there were no access to public information. And more and more, uh, the country, you know, is gaining momentum. As you can see, the country, I think, is one is among the, 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 the top. Uh, 10 in terms of the different index now. Things are improving uh, in terms of the practice. In terms of the practice, you can you see a lot of media houses are now in place, uh, including television, which was not the case before 2017. We only had one national television, which was operating as a propaganda tool for the regime. Now you have about five television, which of course increase uh, uh, the, the, the supply of information and also increases the possibilities for citizens to have access to diverse views and opinion. Uh, on top of that, also, uh, internet was very restricted in the past. Uh, we used to, at the end, have to use uh, different ways of bypassing the restriction. They were filtering some website. People use a lot of VPN in the past to be able to get information outside the country, especially critical news that were, you know, and, and, and that was critical to the region. So basically, all those internet restrictions are lifted. And today, uh, social media is very vibrant and Gambians are debating about everything. And I think we can say that, you know, uh, freedom of expression is really growing in the country, which I think also is appreciable because of the, uh, the way restrictions has happened. I think it is believed that progress has been made so far, uh, but a lot needs to be done in terms of uh, protecting those gains by way of enacting proper laws. As we speak, of course, we have an access to information law, which is very progressive. We are yet to have the institution, as I said earlier, but most of the media laws that are inhibiting expression that are draconian are still in the books. They have not yet been finalized. 
So the criminal defamation and the criminal code, uh, even though some decisions of the courts have made some progress, but the criminal code uh, with a lot of restrictions is still in place. So we are hoping in the next two years also that the unfinished uh, reforms will be completed so that at least uh, we can we can see uh, more legal guarantees in terms of access to information and expression. Thank you very much. Uh, so my next question uh, relates to uh, your thoughts on where you think we are as Africa and as far as inclusivity is concerned, uh, especially looking at the right of access to information for vulnerable and marginalized groups. Uh, yeah, well, as you see, like uh, the, the the recent, the revised declaration uh, looked into some of those issues in a, in a more specific manner than the previous documents, be the model law or even the, uh, the declaration of principle. The 2019 declaration looked into uh, the issues of disability rights, looked into the issues of inclusivity and specific uh, need of uh, groups or, or needs of specific groups in terms of access to information. And I think it is, uh, it is uh, the way to go. And also when you look at in many countries, more and more also they're adopting laws uh, uh, on the right of people with disability. Uh, Gambia adopted also uh, an instrument in this regard. Many other countries have adopted such laws uh, in line with the International Convention, convention uh, on, on People with Disability. And, and, uh, and, and in, 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 some, in, in, in those instruments, the issues of access is quite prominent. Access to, you know, uh, public services, access to uh, to edit to public uh, public buildings, edifice, but also access to information and looking at how uh, governments and different actors should cater for the needs of uh, this specific group. And I think the the, the declaration uh, uh, emphasized that under uh, the different national laws on people with disability also emphasize the importance of really looking at information uh, supply and how it should cater for the specific need. I must say, when you look at around in the region, implementation becomes a problem again. And I think the, the, the challenge we have in Africa, especially in West Africa, is implementation. So we need to further hold our governments to account because they adopt, they accept these international instruments. In, in most cases, after struggle uh, with civil society, with different actors, they pass laws at the national levels. They take a lot of time to implement, to put in place mechanisms. Even when those mechanisms exist, we see that full implementation becomes a problem. If you can, I just give you an example of, for example, access to information for people with disability. It's a big challenge. You can see all over sign language specific uh, information that is catered for them. It's not, it has not been really prioritized by most government and you don't see uh, those even in national budgets and you, you don't see uh, uh, that those kind of discussions uh, in the mainstream uh, this, uh, media or in the mainstream public discourse is always like a, a specific interest group pushing lobbying for their case they're sometimes supported by civil society and uh, in, in most uh, cases also the media doesn't 
doesn't doesn't put it also very prominent in his agenda. I guess it's something that we need to look into. So the rights of people with disability continues to be affected despite the existence of access to information laws, despite the existence in most countries of uh, bills catering for their rights implementation in terms of access uh, continues to be a challenge. I totally agree with you and I agree with you on the notion that uh, as far as Africa is concerned, we're still way behind in as far as implementation is concerned. And the issue of political will is uh, is a critical issue that really needs to be addressed. Thank you so much for that. Uh, at this particular juncture, I'll leave uh, the rest of the questions to my colleague, Crispin Wasire, who will take you through uh, the next round of questions. Thank you very much. Thank you, Fatou. And we'd now like to build up on the questions that my colleagues have asked already. We'd like to now delve into the gender digital divide and looking at from your experience in access to information now what is your comment then on the gender digital divide and its impact on access to information yeah well when you look at access to information in general and uh, the importance of it to consider the in most of the instruments i think it is highlighted and emphasize they emphasize, uh, they emphasize on the need to really look into the gender divide in terms of access i think we need to look at the is historical is cultural and uh, most in most instances uh women are left behind in terms of uh, the digital if you look at the recent uh, report from uh, the different organization, uh, UN Women, UNESCO, it shows the gap is widening because of societal beliefs, the way uh, society is looking at women. But but also another important thing is that uh, more and more women are taking back seat, especially in digital, because of the harassment, the aggressions. Women are facing a lot of uh, challenges in terms of uh, accessing information, in terms of participating in the public discourse, especially online, due to the fact that, you know, they are targeted specifically because they are women. And many, many, many women who could make difference, who are in the social, in the space, are keeping quiet or are having a low profile because of the nature sometimes of the harassment, the bullying, uh, targeting uh, women, body shaming, you know, name calling, and but also also some other uh, infringement of their privacy, of their rights. So many women are scared, uh, really, to participate fully in the in the digital space, to to because of uh, uh, these uh, uh, violations that that are specifically targeted uh, to targeting them. Yeah. So I I believe that the digital gap uh, will continue unless we address. Uh, the issues around security, around privacy, but also around the fact that uh, women should have the right to be speaking freely in all space, offline and online, without necessarily being attacked due to their, their gender. Thank you very much for that comprehensive response. We'd like now to also look at uh, environmental justice issues and looking at the developments 
in um, environmental justice activism. What do you think is the role of access to information? And what do you think is the nature of access to information that is required to achieve or to meaningfully participate in uh, environmental justice? That is required in achieving uh, environmental justice issues? Well, uh, I think in terms of uh, the environmental justice, I think we need uh, disclosure and safety. Uh, disclosure in a sense that the laws uh, must enable activists, citizens in general, to be able to know, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, uh, the information on the environment, uh, uh, to get reliable information around the environmental issues. In countries where there's a lot of uh, uh, activities that are affecting environment being exploitation of, uh, you know, minerals or, you know, oil and gas and etc. So the citizens must also be able to know how the studies in terms of the impact assessment studies were done. Those uh, information should be available and readily available to everybody, especially those communities that are affected. And importantly, also the financial transparency must also be promoted so that citizens will know what their state is gaining from all those environmental uh, related, uh, you know, uh, that would have impact on the environment and how uh, they will give back to the communities and in terms of restoration and protection of the environment. So I think, yes, we need to get the information in terms of the environmental issues, in terms of resilience for communities, in terms of making sure that the communities are aware of the risk that is the general, but also the specific is that if at all there are activities that will impact the environment, we need also all the information to be proactively provided to the communities, to the country in general, and made readily accessible in a language, in a format that citizens can 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 access and, and, and understand. So I think these are also some of the key areas where we need to make a lot of progress because a lot of pollution is happening, affecting communities. A lot of also movement of uh, citizens is happening, especially people leaving their livelihood because of exploitation of their natural resources without proper information. And sometimes uh, there are a lot of uh, repression uh, uh, against those communities. So, and that will affect their livelihood and in the long term affect you know, climate justice and their, their, their right to, to, to benefit from uh, their, their, their natural resources or to live uh, in their communities peacefully. So I believe that it is very, very important uh, that uh, uh, laws that are providing for access to information look into that in most of the existing laws, especially the modern law uh, that is catered for. But we need to reinforce it because uh, issues around climate justice is becoming uh, very, 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 uh, prominent in the global agenda. And I think uh, we on the continent, we need to pay attention to that and empower communities for, for, for them to be resilient, but to know their rights, defend themselves, but also for the countries to comply better for, 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 for sustainability. 
All right, thank you. Now, looking into specifically the civil society organizations uh, dealing in access to information, in your experience, what would you say is the best practice for CSOs that are engaged in uh, access to information so that they are able to do their work effectively and to reach uh, the maximum impact that they can? Yeah, well, I guess uh, it's difficult to say this is the best way to do it because each country and each region uh, has their specificity. But I believe, in terms of uh, in terms of the work on, uh, on 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 mobilizing and getting things done, I think the one of the best approaches is to to work uh, as collectives, but also to involve communities more generally. When people work in some of these very difficult issues, they may get results at this part of the result, but because communities who are really affected on a day-to-day basis are, not, are, are disconnected from uh, the struggle that people are embarking upon. So at the end of the day, uh, it takes time for, to mobilize because communities are not fully involved. It takes energy and resources also to mobilize communities across the board at all levels in the community so that at least they can feel uh, that they're concerned, they can feel that this is the issue and they can they are ready to take it up on themselves and that will make it sustainable and, you know, more impactful. So I believe this is something that we learn with the experience, we learn with these years of work that, yes, mobilizing, it's a lot of energy, uh, but for sustainability of action, and sustainable for change to be sustained, you need to get the communities to be involved so that they can see the benefit of that specific change and they own it and they cherish it. And that will help uh, them to keep it and to fight for it whenever it is attacked. Thank you so much. Now, and finally, so that we look now into the issue of citizen participation and government accountability, uh, what do you think? can be done to ensure that governments embrace the compliant uh, provisions of the model laws and how can they be held accountable if the laws that exist on access to information in their countries are not compliant laws? Well, I think the best one, well, the best approach is to expose the inadequacies, the lack of clients, uh, to research, to systematic kind of uh, communicating that publicly. But I think uh, at some stage also, uh, we need to, to use the legal systems to litigate against those violations to, against, uh, because I think accountability also is to test the courts, to test the mechanisms, either the institutions that are in charge, if uh, they don't uh, respond or they don't comply, to take it to another level. Because in most of those laws, there are mechanisms uh, for oversight. And if at all those mechanisms don't work, uh, you still have the avenues to take them to, to the national courts. So I believe uh, uh, we need also to accelerate those tests, increase the demand side, make sure that people understand why those laws are there and how they use it, and increase the usage because it's by using uh, those also uh, laws and uh, looking at the possibilities that they offer, I think it's only 
exactly by that practice that we can improve the system. And it's going to be like tough to push and pull because governments are not used to be transparent. In most cases, they are they're closed and they will always uh, take chances of not, not giving out the information. And the more they receive requests, the more the demands are increasing, I believe that they will cater for, 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 for the provision of information. And I think that is one way of dealing with uh, uh, the issues of implementation and accountability. And uh, the other bit, if at all, those who are not working or they are slow, uh, use uh, the, the, the challenge, the lack of compliance. And based on the results or from the courts, uh, one could also strategize and, and take it to another level. Thank you so much, Fatu. We have come to the end. Give us your final remarks. <laughs> I hope it was useful. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to, to share a few thoughts. And really, uh, I'm glad that, uh, you know, we are highlighting the progress and the challenges 10 years after the adoption of the modern law, which really has inspired a lot to the, the continent and had uh, really helped also to, to, to push the boundaries of uh, access to information laws today. Uh, we have more countries in our region uh, with access to information regime. It is believed that, you know, we need to push for more implementation. Implementation becomes, continues to be a challenge. But I believe that uh, uh, we still have the momentum. Uh, many countries are working on extractive industries and access to information and transparency. There's a lot of processes going on in the region on the open governance partnership. And all, in all those processes, access to information is at the heart. So I believe that uh, the model law will continue to serve as a guideline for some of those processes to be uh, to yield some positive results. Of course, election continues to be a challenge in our region. We've seen a lot of the regression in terms of election. Uh, the media uh, and information systems in general have been also affected by the restriction of civic space. So the guideline on election and, uh, and access to information law, access to information, sorry, continues to be a reference. And I hope that many countries going to election in the next coming years will use them to further access to information law for citizens' benefit. But also the media will also use it to strengthen their rights and request for more space to cover elections and to provide public interest information law. I would like also to, uh, to, to, to conclude on the gender uh, issues. Uh, it is imperative that we have safeguards in terms of uh, women's rights, in terms of uh, gender uh, discrimination that is happening in the, in, in, in the media in general, but also in online. online. And I think uh, there have been a lots of regression when it comes to women's rights, uh, due to the fact that many women are kind of restraining themselves from engaging in the public discourse due to the harassment, due to the violation of their privacy, and due to the fact that, you know, they are specifically targeted because of their gender. Until and unless we reverse the, that cause, unless we find mechanisms to address those challenges, 
we will leave uh, an important part of our community, you know, out of this public discourse. And I believe that access to information is a game changer. It provides people the possibilities to have a say on what their government are doing, but also to be able to be heard and also to share their aspiration. So if women are not able to do that because they are harassed, they are targeted, and governments are not putting in place mechanisms to support them and to encourage them to speak out and to be participate, I think uh, it will defeat the whole purpose of this formidable framework that we have worked so hard over the years to get enacted. Thank you very much for this space, and I hope that these kind of conversations will continue across the region. Uh, thank you very much. This has been the Africa Rights Talk podcast, and we are commemorating the 10 years of the model law on access to information in Africa. And today, we'd like to extend our gratitude from the Center for Human Rights, and specifically the Expression, Information, and Digital Rights Unit. And we also like to take time again to acknowledge your contribution access to information in Africa and to specifically again acknowledge you for winning the SHE Awards, Gambia SHE Awards, and you have been instrumental in the role that you've played in access to information in Africa. And we hope to continue to collaborate with you and receive the greetings of everyone from the Center for Human Rights. Thank you so much. You just listened to Africa Rights Talk Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. 